Do you like wrestling trivia? Then check out the five-star match game, the Pro Wrestling Quiz Show. I'm Joe Gagney, and every episode, I grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia. We have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering WWE, AEW, Japan, Mexico, and much, 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 much more. Play along at home and check it out today. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Eurograps Express. I'm your host Neil David and we are back once again to talk about all the exciting events on the British and European wrestling scene. We are proud members of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network and when I say we, it's really just me and my dog in the kitchen eating cheese and thinking about what's been going on and we are basking in the flames of a dying Twitter (laughs) at the minute. Uh, You might have noticed over the past couple of episodes, I've, I've really been pushing the Discord. And you also might have noticed, to be honest with you, if you've DM'd me, I might not have replied. So I'm kind of moving away from Twitter. I don't often talk about it, but it's always felt like one of those obligations, hasn't it? That if, you, if you're if you in wrestling criticism or you, you're writing or producing or creating something, you kind of have to be on there, you know, for people to get in touch with you. And it's been fun while it lasted. But I'm not really comfortable being on there very much anymore. I'll still post the episodes and things like that, and I'll, I'll retweet what Rich puts out on the main feed. But generally speaking, I'm not going to be on there very much. It feels like every time I log on, I'm just part of an idiot billionaire's plaything, and I, I don't really feel comfortable with that. And as it's got, I completely understand that me leaving Twitter isn't going to have any sort of massive impact on anything, but. It's just not something that I want to be part of for myself. So if you do want to get in touch with me, uh, the best way to do it is through the Voices of Wrestling Discord. And I've been talking about this loads because it's I, I love my room. We don't talk about wrestling, as I always say. We talk about cheese and robot wars and sometimes even gladiators. Um, so if that sounds appealing to you, get in there. And I apologise if you've got a DM waiting there that I've not replied to. I'm not doing it on purpose, uh, to be uh, to be completely honest. It's just something that I, I kind of want to take a bit of a step back from. It's interesting, isn't it, actually, what's going to happen next? It's, it's weird, this one, because I remember when I was at university, MySpace came out and everybody had a MySpace. And everyone kind of moved to Facebook. And then everyone moved off Facebook onto Twitter and Instagram. But it was kind of a a pull factor, wasn't it, to use a geographical term. It was things that, that that attracted people to change. Whereas this one is a push and I feel a bit homeless now from a social media point of view. And I don't really know what I'm doing because I'm not, I don't think I'm particularly technically unsavvy. I, I know what I'm doing, but I opened a Mastodon account 
the other week. I noticed Ian Hamilton was on there, and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll I'll get in touch with him on there. And then he asked me what server I want to be part of, and it kind of reminded me of when I'd play games on my PC, and I'd look at things and go, don't really know what I'm doing, so I'm just going to wait and see whether it's Hive or Mastodon or whatever it is we all move to. But I'll be completely honest with you, I think the best place to talk about wrestling at the minute is in the Voices of Wrestling Discord. I like the Super J Discord as well, but the Voices of Wrestling one is is excellent. I think if you you can find a room for you in there for sure. Um, lots to talk about on this episode. We've got a couple of shows. I want to revisit Red Pro. I want to dip my toes back in. We talked a lot of Red Pro a couple of weeks ago, and we really went on a bit of a deep dive about the booking and I liked some things, I didn't like others, and I think the general feeling that I got from it was that the in-ring action was great. When the bell rings, it all falls into place, and it's generally really good. The booking, I felt, quite frankly, has got a bit mental. But Andy goes through phases like this. We know this now. We've been watching Red Pro for a long, long time. And we know sometimes Andy's worst instincts get the better of him and we have to go through these periods of really strange booking. So I thought it would be interesting to dip back in and have a look at how some of those stories are developing. We're also going to look at Purpose Wrestling, a show, a promotion, I should say, that we talked about it's about five or six episodes ago now. It was quite a while ago. And a promotion that I was quite taken by. It seemed like a promotion for people like me and you. For people who really value British wrestling. And we, we still think it's got a lot to give. And they were making lots of decisions that I thought were great. And quite frankly, most importantly, putting on really good matches. You know, we could we could talk about ethos and drive and, 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 and agreeing with a company's ethics. But unless the wrestling's interesting and exciting, it's only going to go so far. And I thought the wrestling from Purpose was really good, but they put out a statement essentially saying that they were struggling. They've had to cancel shows. They're not selling enough tickets to keep going. And I, I think that's kind of hit me a little bit because it was a promotion that, like I say, I, I felt a bit of a kinship to, even though I've only been watching them for a short period of time. So I think it's worth having a look and seeing what their last show was all about and hopefully putting them out there a little bit more and seeing if it's something that you might be interested in because I think... They really need our support at the minute. Also, a lot of news with a Z has come out over the last couple of weeks. Uh, We're going to touch on progress. We're going to touch on world of sport. And a lot of interesting things to discuss. So, let's not mess around. I will finish off this lovely bit of uh, Wensleydale I've gone for. I'm really into my cheese with fruits in at the minute. And I know that's a little bit of a pineapple on pizza for some people, isn't it? Something people get really unreasonably wound up about. But to me, Wensleydale with a bit of cranberry in is, is, is absolutely heavenly. So I'll scoff that and we'll be back to talk about the news. One of the things that Progress have been really successful at over the past year or two now is giving us all a bit of a laugh, haven't they? They've been really good at at just doing really weird things and being really obvious targets for poking fun at. You know, they seem to have this really small, dedicated fan base that declare everything that they do is the greatest thing ever and essentially they're operating at 90s All Japan level. 
and then when the shows finally get on VOD, we watch them, and they're all just a little bit strange. And I left reviewing progress shows behind a few months ago now, when that Cara Noir and Spike Trevay match was getting lauded and lionized and roses thrown at it. And I watched it, and I, I thought it, it stank. And you can, you can go back and you can listen to my thoughts on that. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna relitigate that match now, but one thing that Progress always had this air of is just being a bit laughable. But that's taken a little bit of a turn in the last couple of weeks. And some things have come up that have made people really sit and think and take pause about the way they're operating and the way they're doing things. And I have to say, as a bit of a caveat, I'm really just going to talk about the things that I've been reading and dropping some opinions. But I think it's important that I put this right at the start that a lot of these issues are around uh, LGBTQ plus representation, uh, black and ethnic minority representation and how they're dealing with those things. And I am very aware, and I want this to be right at the start of the episode, that I am a straight white man with a podcast. And actually, at times like this, it's my time to listen. I don't, I mean, I believe I can have an opinion on it, but actually that opinion should be informed by listening to the people that it affects because these things are never going to affect me on a level that they affect other people. And what's coming out of the news over the last couple of weeks is that perhaps Progress Wrestling aren't listening in a way that I've just outlined there, that perhaps we all should do as people who are maybe not as directly affected by these things. So in a nutshell, what's happened is that Progress have acquired an interest in TNT, which is a Liverpool promotion. Uh, We've talked about them before when they did their shows with GCW. They're a funny promotion, TNT. They're all right. You know, they're not a, a promotion that I follow particularly closely, but they're one of those that if you're in the area and you want to go down, they're a bit of fun. They have a, a, a deathmatch lean generally, which, you know, led them really well to doing the shows with GCW. But they also have some pretty decent stuff on there. You know, if you, if you like British wrestling, you're going to go to TNT and find a card that you're happy with. Um, so Progress have announced this. They they don't control it. It's Lee McAteer and um, Martin Best. But they've got an interest in it. And, you know, they, as in a financial interest and a business interest. And they've announced Effie's Big Gay Brunch UK edition, British edition. Um, which I, I think it's not really relevant what I think of Effie and his wrestling. It, the fact that I don't think he's a very good wrestler is is kind of beside the point. The idea of this show is that it's highlighting LGBTQ plus talent in the country and having a show that's very visible and is very prominent. And I, I think that's an important thing. That goes way beyond what I think of the individual matches. You know, it's it, it's it's more important than that in a lot of ways. What they've also done a few days later, Progress, is announced a show in Dubai, in the United Arab Emirates, which is a country where being homosexual is illegal. You can be sent to prison for being homosexual in in, uh, in Dubai. And it's it's caused a controversy, quite frankly. A lot of people who are close to that sort of thing, you know, a lot of people who, frankly, queer people who, who felt really seen and visible by the TNT announcement have felt kind of like the rug's been pulled out from under them a little bit. 
and I'm not, I hope I'm summarizing that appropriately. Again, like I say, this isn't my voice that should be listened to really in this situation. It's the voices of people who are affected by this. And you can find plenty of them on Twitter. Plenty of people who are critical of this announced show in Dubai. And the reason why they're critical of it is, as I say, it's in a country where being homosexual is is illegal. You know, just it doesn't take much Googling to find that sex reassignment surgery is illegal. Um, cross-dressing um, is, is illegal and punishable. Uh, gay conversion and cure therapy occurs and there's no law uh, prohibiting or even discouraging its use or anything like that. Uh, you can be sent to prison in Dubai for for engaging in a homosexual act. And the idea that on the one hand progress are announcing this show and lauding it as a as a as a victory for LGBTQ LGBTQ plus representation and then later on announcing that show in the UAE again I, I find this difficult to articulate because it, it isn't really my area in a lot you know it's not something that i feel like my voice is important in but i can it doesn't take a genius to to link those two things together and to understand why a lot of people would would feel very uncomfortable with that especially given the poster has the fact that it's recognized by dubai sports council you know this isn't a show that is you know this isn't Paul Simon breaking apartheid rules because they feel like they're doing the right thing. This is a show that is is linked in with that government, even in the most tangential way, even in the most kind of spurious way. doesn't even matter, does it? The fact that that's on the poster raises questions. It is a very strange situation that they've presented to the fans and the fans have quite rightly decided to ask some questions about it. What happened later on is that they announced a statement because if there's one thing we've learned about progress over the years, and this is probably the most serious criticism I will give to progress because, again, I need to separate the laughing at the the booking, you know, side of things because that's 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 one thing in and of itself and traditionally that's what podcasts like mine would do we, w- we would look at the book and we would be critical of that but this is taking us and putting us in an area that is very very different to that and it's it's making us think about things that are, are quite serious and we find that when progress make us think about things that are quite serious they treat them like a pr puzzle to be solved they think that there's a statement that they can release that will fix it all. It can all be solved with just a statement. And the act of what they've actually done or are engaging in will, or not done or whatever it might be that the statement's about is kind of forgotten and filtered away. And the statement that they released starts with this sentence. I'll just read it verbatim. It says, Progress Wrestling has always prided itself on being slightly edgy unconventional and seen as a promotion that does not shirk any challenges and that's that's got that progress tone to it doesn't it you know the oh we're slightly edgy you know we're naughty boys and 
I feel sometimes with progress that when they do that in their commentary, and we've 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 gone through all the examples over the months we've been doing the podcast of them making really clunky how do you do fellow kids references, trying to be cool and end up being really cringy, even to like I say, me, a thirty-five year old bloke who does podcasts in his kitchen. It kind of makes me cringe a little bit. And when you read sentences like that in reaction to something that's a very valid criticism. It, it shows that they don't really understand what it is that's actually being said to them. That what's actually being presented. Because people are bringing up things like sport washing. You know, similar to what WWE have done in Saudi Arabia, where they go to Saudi Arabia, they take the government's money, and they essentially operate as propaganda for that regime. That when you're watching your wrestling, you then have to watch little VTs of how great it is that women can drive now because they want to change the image of the country and the Western world and the world as a whole. And that makes people feel very uncomfortable. It's especially prominent at the minute with the Qatari World Cup. You know, that the, there are regimes that are using sport to effectively run PR campaigns. And again, this is a very, very heavy issue that I don't feel like I'm well-read enough and feel like I'm capable enough to, to sort of dive in with both feet. But it's something that is valid to make in terms of making people feel uncomfortable. And another thing that people are criticising about it is the idea that they're promoting that they're having the first women's main event. And that just has those that air, doesn't it, of, of thinking, well, why are you doing this? I think Will Coolin made a fantastic point in his Substack, and if you want to read something that's informed on the topic, I would really recommend going and reading that, is that Progress and the sort of the business leaders behind Progress, at best, they haven't really thought about this. Because we can't... I, I, I don't think we can really claim that the pro Progress owners are going to run... Uh, a warehouse in Dubai with 200 people in it and somehow affect change. They can't claim that and we can't claim that. You know, Progress are really small fry these days. They're not the promotion they were. I think it's essentially a business decision, isn't it? That they've gone over there to make some money and they're promoting it as having a bit of social justice on the side. And that's just got this got people feeling very, very cynical, and me included as well. It just feels like a very, very bizarre thing to do. And it's, it makes me feel very uncomfortable, and, and a lot of other people feel very uncomfortable, that then you're lauding this LGBTQ representation on the one hand, really highlighting the fact that you're doing things for women's wrestling, and then doing something in connection with the Dubai Sports Council. There's just a lot of spinning plates there and they don't really all seem to make sense. And people are quite rightly asking questions of it. And the statement that's been put out hasn't really done much to put people's minds at rest. I mean, even the title of the show, it's Sons and Daughters of the Desert, just feels a bit clunky, doesn't it? It feels a, a, bit, a bit ill thought out. They also mentioned in the statement the Everything Pattern Show and the Who Run the World Show. So the Everything Pattern Show was a show made exclusively out of wrestlers of colour. The, the, the entire card was black and ethnic minority wrestlers. And then Who Run the World was their first all-female show. And they're talking 
about that almost as if they're racking up their credentials. It feels like it's almost evidence to say, hey, no, no, we, we are forward thinking. We are progress to, to, to sort of, you know, no pun intended. And it just feels a little bit disingenuous, especially when you have a look at how uh, Roy Johnson has responded. Because that everything pattern show was all big wavy Roy Johnson. He released a statement afterwards saying that that is trademarked. They said that it, he said, sorry, that it was created in response to progress shows that had little to no representation from wrestlers of colour. He said he wanted to do that show to highlight to progress, I suppose. That's what we can infer is just how much amazing black and ethnic minority talent they have at their disposal. And even the most casual British wrestling fan can see how much talent is coming from that. You know, we look at all the wrestlers who I get excited about at the minute and a huge proportion of them are black wrestlers. And Roy Johnson wanted to do this show to highlight that and to have pride in that. And I think that's that's obviously a brilliant thing. I mean, even like I say, I'm I'm looking at this from the outside. I'm very much positioning myself as a listener when it comes to things like this, as someone who takes things on. And I, I think that for Roy Johnson to do things like that is, 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 is fantastic. But he feels, and he says, he's repeatedly had his name removed from show titles and graphics, that the show is Roy John, Big Wavy Roy Johnson's Everything Patterned. But he's repeatedly had his, his name removed from it. He's been told that it was an error. And yet the shows were uploaded to the WWE Network without the full title. He said that they weren't interested in promoting everything patterned when he ran it somewhere else. He ended up doing it on his own in September. And the general feeling was that Progress didn't promote it as well as it could have been. And what has, I think, quite justifiably wound him up is that they're now using that in a statement to respond to criticism from the LGBTQ plus community. And that nobody's got in touch with him, he said on Twitter. And I think that is quite a powerful statement for him to put out. It should be noted that the owner of the uh, Dubai promotion has, has said, you know, look, the government has views that I don't align with and, and that, you know, we want to make a show where everybody's welcome and progress are very much open about saying we want to make a progressive show. Again, pardon the pun. But again, it's just, it's the tone, isn't it, of progress? It's, it's just very, it invites cynicism because of the way they they talk and the way they respond to things. And then when you read things like that from Roy Johnson, it's very, very difficult to take them seriously about the most serious of subjects. It raises questions about how much change can wrestling even affect in the first place. And I'm not sure where I stand on that, to be honest. Again, I've got to listen. It's not, it's not my... Wrestling has always represented me. I'm a straight white man. It has always been for me, wrestling. I've never felt in any company that I've ever watched that this isn't for me. I've always been able to watch it without anything. And I suppose most media and most um, most entertainment, I've always been able to do that. So it's not my place to comment on how pe- how people who haven't always felt that respond to things. 
but the response to progress has been overwhelmingly negative. It's, it's, it's a very, very tricky situation, and one that I don't, I really don't think progress have dealt with particularly well. Again, the statement is just a lot of times word salad. It feels like something that a PR person has put together, not something that's particularly genuine. And that's just my opinion. You know, it might be you might know them better. You might have more of a connection to that promotion. But when they're saying things like we hope to be a symbol of expression for people in Dubai. it, it It's tricky, isn't it? Because we see them as progress. Uh, and it's hard to sort of link a, st- a, a very heavy statement like that to progress wrestling. I would really recommend, like I say, reading that Substack article. And I, I, I couldn't do a show on what's happening in the British and European wrestling scene without talking about this. And I don't want people to come away from this thinking that I'm positioning myself as some sort of an expert. What I would say is what I said at the start of this little section and say, go and listen to those queer voices. Go and listen to those people who are directly linked to this through who they are. And they're the sorts of people who we need to listen to and they're the voices that should be the most important in all of this. Another bit of news that we've had is that World of Sport is apparently <laughs> World of Sport is apparently coming back to go from an incredibly serious subject um, to uh, probably the most laughable subject imaginable that Mickey James and Nick Aldis have been approached by ITV to potentially bring back World of Sport. Um, I really don't think the world needs World of Sport, to be quite honest. And, and you know, let, let's put this into context. It is very much in the, you know, the 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 the, the early stages of things, but it's. It's something you know the idea of me sitting down and watching World of Sport, especially after the absolutely disastrous first run, I don't understand why they want that brand. I suppose to link it back to Progress. Do you remember when they bought it and everyone just sort of thought, "Why do you want the Progress brand? What 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 do you possibly hope to achieve by having this?" It kind of feels the same with World of Sport, doesn't it? What do you want that brand for? Um, they've reported, and this is all on Fightful is that the consortium <laughs> behind World of Sport are considering a relaunch. They've spoken to Nick Aldis and uh, Mickey James, and what they want is an NWA-like model. So essentially, studio wrestling. So they have it in a studio, they tape shows, live events at a low cost, and then, and then put those out, which is really similar to what they did first time round a couple of years ago. And I don't know if anybody remembers that World of Sport relaunch from a couple of years ago, um, but it was it was crap, wasn't it? It was a load of rubbish. It, they had some decent wrestlers on there, but it was all a little bit awkward, and a li- it wasn't wrestling as we knew it. It was it was wrestling for people who want to sit and watch Wipeout, not the quiz show. I would I respect people and love people who want to sit and watch Wipeout. I mean, Total Wipeout, the show where they jump on the big balls. Or the Bring on the Wall show with Dale Winton. It was it had that kind of ITV studio vibe to it. The Cube, you know, all that light entertainment stuff. And essentially, I think what killed World of Sport wasn't NXT UK, which was what was intended to kill World of Sport. What killed it was AEW, because a better wrestling product came along that people would actually want to watch. 
I can't imagine a world of sport based around Nick Aldis being any good. I think Nick Aldis is a very fine wrestler. He's Mr. Three Stars, isn't he? He's never somebody who we're going to get excited about. And I'm not sure after what's happened with the NWA that anyone would want to get involved with him in terms of a wrestling promotion. So we we will, like Fightful have said in their article, they will continue to monitor the situation. And at Eurograps Express, we will also continue to monitor the situation and see what happens. I tell you something, we will definitely be reviewing the first episode when it comes up, so you don't have to watch it. Um, Anyway, that's the news. Very heavy opening to the show, and I I appreciate not everyone comes for that, but again, like I say, I think it was important to to at least start that discussion, and, 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 and hopefully, if you are somebody who has some real solid opinions on that progress, situation get in the discord get you know dm me and and, and tell me what your feelings are because as i say I i think it's at the minute people like me it's my job to listen in the hobby it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks we hype ourselves up thinking maybe i can pull a ken griffey jr rookie card but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates it's all just a shot in the dark until now introducing slab packs from arena club Com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view of all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now, when I buy slab packs at Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. I was able to open an Arena Club slab pack, and, and I'll be honest, it was a lot better than what you normally do. Say you go to a card show, and there's a random innocuous brown bag of cards and yeah you can open it and look it's going to be junk you're you you know what i mean like you know what you're probably going to get in those maybe you find that fun and sometimes i do sometimes i like just opening up cards and saying hey look at some random cards whatever but if you're really in this game to to find value and find particular cards it sucks to have to buy these mystery packs and it ends up being you know almost nothing you know nothing of value not with arena club you can display, again, of all available cards, hit rates, grading, so you know that when you're opening up the slab pack, you are going to get something valuable. You are getting something good. And Arena Club, in addition to having those great slab packs we just talked about, is also a marketplace for card collecting, buying, trading, selling, displaying, all that sort of stuff. But those Arena Club slab packs, man, they are revolutionizing the repack game with transparency. After your polls are revealed, they'll immediately be placed in your vault for safekeeping or trading and selling, and you can have them officially graded by Arena Club as well. So again, setting these things off, it's going to be officially graded by Arena Club. And the Arena Club grading process is accurate, fast, and transparent with full grade rationale provided and explanation of how your card was scored. So whether you're buying, selling, trading, or displaying, Arena Club is the card collecting platform that you have to check out. So right now, I've got a special offer here for Voices of Wrestling Network listeners. You can get 10% off of your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net. Now, that's a crazy offer. That's 10% off a $400 slab pack. $40 off right there. 10% off your first purchase. No matter what that purchase is, 10% off. Again, that's arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net, arenaclub.com slash V-O-W-Net for 10% off your first purchase on Arena Club. And we thank them for sponsoring the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.
What's going on, guys? This is Rich from the Flagship Podcast here on the Voice of Wrestling Podcast Network. If I could have a moment of your time, I'd like to tell you about one of our sponsors, Eufy Video Lock. Eufy Video Lock is a smart lock, a 2K camera, and a doorbell, all three-in-one, offering you triple security. So you can have everything in one device rather than installing many pieces on your front door. But it's not just for security. Eufy Video Lock is also for convenience. No more concerns about losing keys, and you can assign passwords to your family members and see them coming back home via the integrated cameras. Some other great features we love about the Eufy Video Lock is it is easy to install and set up with just a Phillips screwdriver, no drilling required. Keyless entry, no more fumbling for keys when your hands are full. You never have to worry about kids losing keys or passing among renters. You also have 0.3 second, 0.3 second fingerprint recognition and one second unlocking again 0.3 seconds it's going to recognize your fingerprints and in one second it's going to unlock and with the ai self-learning chip embedded the more you use it the more accurate it will be also no battery anxiety you have a rechargeable battery in there that could last around four months and you will get a low battery notification before it runs out a passcode unlocking a remote control with the 2k clear sight see who's at your door and control from anywhere through the Eufy app. With enhanced night vision, you can have optimized view even in the evening. You can also secure your package delivery by view and two-way audio. And then best of all, no monthly fee. A bunch of other brands out there are going to charge you a monthly fee. You have your recordings locally and you never have to pay for storage. Customer service, Eufy's got you handled as well. They're on standby for you 24-7 so you can enjoy a worry-free experience with an 18-month warranty, all backed by their professional customer service team. Contact them anytime by telephone, email, or live chat. Personally, as a homeowner, I love my Eufy video lock. I have the ability to see what's going on when I'm not home, when packages have has arrived, and, and really the thing I love the most about it, the ease of being able to lock and unlock my doors without having to fumble with my keys and reach in my pocket or wait, no, crap, they're in my backpack, all that sort of stuff. All this is happening while my dogs are barking at me. You know what? Not anymore with the Eufy video lock. I touch it. 0.3 second fingerprint recognition. One second doors unlocked much much easier so if you want to jump on board with eufy video lock search eufy video lock that is e u f y video lock again that's eufy video lock e u f y video lock or visit eufyofficial.com slash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your door So let's talk about some wrestling then. We're going to talk about Live in London 67 from uh, RevPro, and then we're going to have a look at Purpose. Let's review some matches. So RevPro are a real mixed bag at the minute, and I always say they're my favourite promotion on the continent, and I, I feel like they're really testing that at the minute, because they're making a lot of very, very strange decisions. They're, they're in a bit of a transitional period, which Repro, by their nature, by being a smaller company, have to go through. You know, as great it is that they have access to Will Ospreay and New Japan stars, you know, they're going to go through times that they have to transition because they lose them. You know, when Aussie Open and Will Ospreay get called back to Japan, or Aussie Open get called to Japan for the first time, they're left here and they've got to keep going. And there are going to be times when they have to reevaluate and, and, and start new things. 
and it feels like we're very much at the start of a new stage in, in Red Pro's journey. We're at a, 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 a bit of a new beginning in terms of stories. And some of them are hitting, but a lot of them are really missing. And I think if you're going to take a little snapshot of Red Pro, probably the best place to do it is the Live at London shows. Because these aren't the big shows in York Hall where they sell thousands of tickets and put on the big marquee matches. This is the bread and butter. And if you want to know what Red Pro are all about, this is where you do it. You know, whether it was at the uh, cockpit or at the 229 as it is now. So, Live at London 67 started with, actually, before we get into the matches, Francesca's becoming a bit more of a personality for them. And I, I like that. She's always been a really good ring announcer. She's very unique. She's got that almost aggressive style of, of, of announcement. And it, it, but it's perfect. I think it's pitched perfectly. It gets you excited. It gets you hyped. But with this one, they gave her a bit of an intro. She didn't do banter by any means. And no one wants banter at the start of the show. So, you know, I certainly don't. But what they were able to do was have Francesca just have a little bit more of a personality at the start. And I, I think that that worked really well. She's clearly a, a great talent and he's more than capable of putting it, uh, of taking on that more of a host role than a ring announcer role. And I think with this show, they hit that kind of sweet spot with it, that she was enough of a personality to feel like you were being invited into something exciting, that you were watching a cohesive show, yet it wasn't sort of corny jokes that you get from other promotions. Started off with uh, Lou Jacobs against uh, Craven for the Cruiserweight Championship. Uh, Will Craven is somebody who they've really been pushing recently and I've been really conflicted about him. I've not been able to put my finger on whether he's worthy of what he's getting because actually when the bell rings he's all right he's not a super worker by any stretch but a lot of what he does is is really exciting but it's his character and the way he carries himself that I think is a bit much and it doesn't really fit in with Rev Pro's kind of mise-en-scene it doesn't fit in with their vibe and their feeling very well he comes out and does a bit of a dance, kind of like, you know, it's that Seth Rollins gif where they're doing the weird mosh pit dancing that's just absolutely tragic. I remember when I was at university, we'd go to the Ritz a lot after work, and it was it's where Progress do a lot of the shows. They do wrestling there. It's a gig venue. But it used to be a nightclub when I was at university. And was it a Friday or a Saturday? I can't remember. Maybe a Thursday. They had a metal night. And the dance floor... He had a bouncy dance floor because it was a, a traditional dance hall. You had the springs under the under the floor, and it was full of nineteen-year-old blokes doing this weird dancing, like waving their fists around, and they all had black hoodies on, and they'd be expressing how ang- angry they were at things, but through through dance. And I know I'm mocking them. You know, do what you want if you're having a good time. I think it's a good thing. But he does that, and it doesn't feel particularly te- uh, contemporary. He's got thirteen on his pants. You know, it's a bit edge lord and a bit a bit rebellious. You know, and it doesn't. It, it just it's a bit corny for me. And I, I don't think the look that he's going for is bad. I think it's it's really good. I just think he needs to tone it down a little bit. You know, not coming out giving middle fingers to the crowd. It's a bit. And we say this a lot about heels. A lot of people play the heel by looking at a heel kind of cookbook and and selecting little bits out of that to show everybody that they're a heel rather than be heelish. 
you know, Will Caven often has this cackle that just just isn't isn't really any good. Do you know what I mean? It's just a little bit corny. Uh, the match I actually thought was good. The match itself was really good for the most part. The first half, anyway. Uh, they charged each other on the bell, which is one of my favourite things in wrestling. There was Luke Jacobs no-selling things in the corner. And you really start to see that Luke Jacobs has become the wrestler that he always kind of promised he was going to be. And that's really nice to see. I feel like some of us put a lot of chips into the Luke Jacobs thing. And there was a, a, a few moments where we weren't sure whether he was going to deliver or not. But I think since the banger in Manchester, he, and he won the belt. I, th- I, th- I think he's really delivered on the promise. And, and we saw that here. Um, the match is fine, was, was good. Until the end, which we'll talk about in a minute. Again, like I say, the presentation with Will Caven was a little bit tricky. You know, he's he's, he's getting these chants that he's the Wendy's mascot because he's got the ginger hair. And it, 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 it sort of takes away a little bit, I think. And I understand that the crowd can chant what they want. And, you know, you pay your ticket, you say what you like kind of thing. But it, the fact that he's kind of a joke to me, says that he needs to go back to the drawing board. If you're trying to be this big baddie, this big serious baddie, because he won the belt here, you know, at the end of the match, he won. And I think if you're trying to present yourself as a serious baddie that has serious ramifications on the division that you're in, having presented a character that makes people chant you the Wendy's mascot probably isn't the best thing in the world, you know? Ultimately, the problem I have with the match is, again, a traditional criticism of Red Pro that sometimes they massively overbook things. Will Caven won the belt, or, well, supposedly won the belt at the end, after a ref bump and a belt shot. And we've talked before about how these little moments of story speak to particular wrestling attitudes and wrestling fandom that belt shots and ref distractions and ref bumps kind of speak to a wrestling that I think a lot of people who end up going to Red Pro shows are trying to escape. We want clean finishes. And actually, you know, I can be critical all day long, but really that sort of thing comes down to preference, doesn't it? Is that you can enjoy wrestling with belt spots and drama and soap opera, and I think that's absolutely fine. But it's not for me. And I don't think it's for most of Red Pro's audience. I don't think they necessarily enjoy that. And it seems really weird that Andy will take these spots and almost repeat them. I mean, how many belt shots have we had recently? I'm not going to get wound up again about belt shots. I did a rant a (laughs) a couple of episodes ago about those. But it, it just seems like a really bizarre thing to hang his hat on. And to keep doing. So there was this belt shot. Caven got the pin. But then Robbie X came out and said, no, it was a belt shot and all that. So they restarted the match and then Luke Jacobs won. It just just seemed completely unnecessary. Completely unnecessary. And then when the commentary said, oh, Robbie X better watch his back later, I just thought, what are we doing? Why are we booking the living daylights out of things? Why can't Will Caven just lose this match against Luke Jacobs? Luke Jacobs is your hot champion at the minute. He's he's not long been crowned. He's still building up a champion's resume. We don't have to do things like this. They've established actually Will Caven pretty well as a as a as a top guy in that division. I don't think they've done a bad job really with Will Caven 
there's been some really shaky bits. But if this sort of thing is going to happen more and more, I think we're just going to lose faith in him. I think Will Caven needs to get serious. I really do. I, I thought this was a really disappointing end to a good match. And that's what it is, actually. That's what winds me up, is that they were having a good match. They were having a really good match. And this just pulls the rug out. And you just find yourself looking at the screen going, why did you do that? What did you do that for? And I, I feel like that's my belt spot. Is That's becoming my catchphrase at the minute. Well, my actual catchphrase is, and then we add, if you notice. I say that every five minutes. But my my ultimate catchphrase at the minute is, what are you doing that for? And I'm not asking a rhetorical question. I'm actually asking. I want to know why they want a book like this. Why is this better than just having matches and clean finishes? Why do, why do they think people get more over and the story is told better by doing this kind of thing? And ultimately, the reason why I think that question is so important is because look look at people like us. I'm assuming you're like me. You're a 30-something-year-old weirdo who spent the 90s watching WWE wrestling. And then when the 2000s came along, you just thought, I've had enough of this. It's stupid. I want proper wrestling. So if you're like me and you're watching Red Pro, going to Red Pro shows because you want proper wrestling... Why do they think we're going to be served by this sort of thing? Weird. Don't get it. Rubbish. Get it out of my sight. Get that piece of trash out of my ring, as a wrestler once said. Next up, we had a really exciting match. And it's very difficult to talk about this one. It was JJ Gale against Leon Slater. And on paper, I got really excited for this. I thought this could genuinely be the kind of match that I go on the Voices Wrestling Slack or the Voices Wrestling Discord get out there and say to people, look, I know not many people are watching Red Pro in our circle, but this is something you should seek out because these two, for me, are the stars of Brit Ress's future. Leon Slater and J.J. Gale. I think J.J. Gale is criminally underrated. I think he's somebody who is really slowly building up to be a great wrestler. And actually, even though he's underrated, I'm glad about that. I think a wrestler like J.J. Gale is going to be much better served by a slow build. He's going to be much better served by having things bubble and breathe. And RevPro are really allowing him to do that. They're putting him in matches like this at the Live at London shows where he's got a chance to shine. And Leon Slater, I don't need to add my voice to what people are saying about Leon Slater. He, he's a special talent. He's 18 years old. I do think the same thing applies to Leon Slater. I think he needs that time to bubble and improve. And there is a little bit of a worry with Leon Slater that he's getting too big too fast. You know, he's wrestling at the um, next York Hall show against Zack Sabre Jr. And I think as great and as raw as Leon Slater is in terms of talent, he is also raw in terms of talent, if you know what I'm saying. I think if anyone could get a great match out of him, it's, it's Zack Sabre Jr. But I, I'm just a little bit wary. It might be a bit too much too soon. But I'll tell you something. I am ready to be proved wrong. I am hoping to be proved wrong. And I'm rooting for Leon Slater because I think he's great. I think what was exciting about this match is that it's two wrestlers who were young and hungry. And they wrestled like they were young and hungry. You know, it's just... Uh, that's, that's ultimately going to be captivating. It ended up being 
a little bit disappointing and it's hard to kind of criticize that because it was things like a couple of spots didn't land pro- uh, properly like there was a stretch spot from uh, jj gale that i thought it just got a little bit clunky he didn't quite deliver the move in the way he wanted to and it threw them both off a little bit and they took a little bit of time to get back on but that's kind of the nature of the level that they're at, isn't it? That there are going to be times where you've just got to sink or swim. And when you're at that point, at that cusp, kind of like Luke Jacobs was that we were talking about before, there are going to be times when you sink and that's absolutely okay. You know, Gale is a little bit clumsy. That's part of his charm because he's a big bloke. He's not small. He's tall. He's muscly. He's gangly. He's kind of got the Kazuchika Okada build. But then he does incredibly athletic things like twisting cutters and big topes. And it isn't the most athletic thing in terms of style points. You know, he's not fluid and smooth, but that's a positive for J.J. Gale. And that means that sometimes things are going to are gonna be a little bit clumsy. If I'm being really critical, I would say that Leon Slater's selling erred on the comedy a little bit too much. There was a little bit too many owls and that sort of thing, and it didn't feel particularly realistic. It felt like he was selling to pop the crowd. And and that just kind of jars with the whole purpose of what it is that you're doing. So that was something that kind of stood out to me a little bit. But I, I think this is, if you're interested in the sort of burgeoning Brit rest scene, these are two that I would I would really seek out. Next up, we have the promo. Uh, this was one that was going around a bit, and a lot of people were asking if I'd seen it. It was Oku and Amira coming out to address the situation with Connor Mills. And I, I've been very critical of this story and the way it's been told. It's not a story that I've been particularly au fait with. It's one that I absolutely loved, the slow build of the turn. And I said until the turn, when Connor Mills turned on him, that it was one of the best stories I'd, best stories I'd seen in wrestling. I thought it was brilliant. But then afterwards, it's become very clumsy and very corny. But Oku and Amira came out to address it. And I'm told that live in the room, this absolutely landed. People were absolutely captivated by it. And I have to say, it started off really good. I mentioned something in the last show about Oku should have kind of play it that he, he doesn't want to fight his friend. He wants to make things better. And they went for this. And I, I don't think that was me having any kind of predicted, you know, great predictive skills on it. I think that was the obvious story, the best story. And I'm really glad that they've started to really lean into that because that's how wrestling, uh, sorry, not how wrestling works. It's how real life works and how wrestling often doesn't. You know, people have a falling out. You don't settle it with an arm wrestle, do you? You know what I mean? If I have a falling out with one of my mates, we don't get Gloomhaven out. That's a bad example because it's uh, it's cooperative. We don't get Twilight Imperium 4th Edition out and settle it on the tabletop, do we? We talk about it. We don't have a go out in the garden and have a scrap, or at least normal people don't. And I like the fact that Oku is approaching it from that point of view. And he said a lot of things in the promo that I thought were really powerful. You know, think about times when you've had a falling out with a friend. Have a, you know, we're at an age now, or I am, where you've had friends for 20, 25, 30 years. And there are going to be times when you haven't been the friend that you should have been. And Oku had gone away and reflected on that. And he'd come back out and said, yeah, I, I'm starting to think about some of the things that, 
that he was saying, and I think he might be right. And that's what made the story so effective, and I'm really glad they hooked onto that, that Mills has done the wrong thing for the right reasons. He he has been overshadowed by Oku. Is that Oku's fault? Not necessarily. Is that something we can be critical of him for? Maybe not. But it depends on what perspective you're looking at it from. And to me, they're the best stories. And not just in wrestling. It's a story that examines an event or a, or a relationship from both perspectives. And I think they were really successful at telling that. And it, it kind of petered away over the last few months. And they were kind of getting it back on track. Amira was with Oku, and Amira was was very serious and very supportive. I'm really conflicted about whether Amira adds anything to this. I think she can she can sort of err on being a little bit too over the top at times. And I think a story like this was best told the way Oku did, in a very serious way, in a very real way, a very grounded way. And Amira isn't telling her part of the story in a grounded way. She's telling it in a very pro-wrestling promo way. And sometimes that works fine. As for some stories, that would be absolutely appropriate. But I, I'm just not convinced it is, it is for this one. Mills came out and Oku apologised to him. But then again, like I say, Amira grabbed the mic and it, it just wasn't good. He just he, She just didn't deliver a, a very good promo. And, and in a lot of ways, what she was doing was kind of baby-facing Mills, I think. I think that was why I didn't like it, is that Mills... Yes, we've got this tweener story, almost, that you can understand why Mills is behaving the way he is, but ultimately we're supposed to think he's making the wrong decision. But the way that Amira was shouting at him and putting him down, you know, saying, you know, Oku brought you into this promotion, and, and Oku did this for you, and Oku did that for you, and Oku was main eventing, but when you main evented, you lost, and Oku beat Pack, and you couldn't beat Pack. It kind of made me really feel sympathy for Mills because I thought, well, yeah, that's what his whole gripe is, that he's always second best and he doesn't feel like he's been given the opportunities and he's always been second fiddle to Oku. And if Amira's Amira's response is, yeah, damn right, you are second fiddle to Oku, that just doesn't really sit right with me, if I'm honest. It doesn't really add to the story at all. And then they... Chain, they they got the heat back, brother, I suppose, because Mills went to boot Oku in the face and ended up booting Amira, knocked a clean out, and then that's what wound Oku enough. It sort of got him riled enough to scream, you and me, York Hall. So it kind of bugs me the way they're telling this story in a way. And I, I still think it's really interesting. And, this, and I hope you can hear in my voice that I'm getting a lot out of it. And it's really making me go away and think and chew, which I, I do find very, very rewarding. But when they're telling this story well, it's issuing pro wrestling cliche. It's telling a, a very, very pro wrestling story in a very natural and real way. But when it's at its worst... They're using pro wrestling tropes like he accidentally knocked his girlfriend out and that's wound him up now to have the match to defend his woman. And I, I feel like this would have been much better served by having it in a real way. By Oku saying, look, if we have this match, will this put things to bed? Let's find out. If you really want to know if you're better than me, let's have this match. You bring your all, I'll bring my all and then we'll settle it. 
it reminds me of the fantastic um, books and uh, Golden Lovers match. You remember when they were having that little feud and they had the match to settle it? And do you remember at the end of that match, what was so amazing about it is that Kenny Omega and Kota Ibushi won and then they went up to the books and extended the hand and said, right, that settles it, doesn't it? And what was the young book's reaction to that? Of course it doesn't settle it. We've just tried to kill each other in the ring. That's the kind of vibe I want from the story. You know, that if the Oku reacts like a normal person, he says, look, I don't want to fight you over this, but if you want to have a sporting contest to see who's the best, let's do that. But they've, they've sort of sprinkled it in this this, this cliche that, that I've not really enjoyed. Next up, we have Mad Kurt against Zack Knight. Uh, and I, I thought this part of I have to say, I am becoming a bit of a Mad Kurt fan. And that goes against a lot of what I've been saying uh, about them for, for a long, long time. I've always been really critical of Mad Kurt. But I think he's he's found where this character works best. I was a little bit critical of Mad Kurt being involved with Ricky Knight Jr. But I really liked the way they told this story. If they had Ricky Knight Jr., the champion, basically larking around with the village idiot, Mad Kurt. And then you add Zack Knight, the uncle, the serious wrestling pedigree in the background saying, listen, Ricky, you're a champion now. You shouldn't be behaving like this. So they have a match to settle it. And I, I love the way that Kurt came out. He was absolutely shitting himself. <laughs> he sold it perfectly. You know, because Zack Knight is this bruiser. You know, he's, a, he's he, he looks like a shoot fighter. You know, I don't know if he is, but he looks terrifying. He's got, you know, the bad tattoos. He, he's got the, the fight style gear. He's got the body of someone who's in real fights. You know what I mean? He's not a bodybuilder. He's not a pro wrestler. He looks like someone who is in actual real fights. And I love that about him. I think that's brilliant. And he came out poker-faced. He's got this, this great music. He, and he really went for it. But it turned out that he was <laughs> that it was a, a work all along and, and, and Mad Kurt pulled him at the last minute and he ended up being a, a competitive match for a while before Zack Knight essentially just battered him from pillar to post. Um, this match was fine, but he had a, a, a really awkward ending. That I know Mad Kurt's been suffering from neck injuries and there was a bit at the end where he took one too many buckle bombs and it had that very real life situation of Mad Kurt having, you know, he, he said to the referee, pin me, pin me. And he had this look of fear in his face that's stuck with me a little bit, if I'm honest with you. I've been, I've been thinking about it um, because it was, he was obviously genuine. You know, he, he, he was, he was legitimately injured. And if you go on Mad Kurt's Twitter, he's, he's taking the rest of the year off. And, you know, he was—he was just an awful thing to to see, and I—I I hope he's okay. Um, I, I hope he's—he's he's fine. You know, it's never something you never want to see the referee put bad X up because it—it was especially when it comes to neck injuries, and like I said, the look on Mad Kurt's face is—is is, is really stuck with me. I hope he's okay because I think he's doing great stuff at the minute. Um, RKJ came out at the end and challenged Zach Knight which I thought was a great idea because this has got serious now. You know, it was all a joke before to Ricky Knight Jr. It was all something 
that was that was was stupid and silly and he, he put this match together as a bit of a joke if you remember when he put the match together he said you know you're gonna face a knight and then you know kurt knight because that's kind of the joke is that kurt's pretending he's part of the knight family and he came out and said no you've gone too far now i want to i want to settle this so uh you know the, the 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 angles are working quite well but you know just there's a bit of a shame about that thing about mad kurt Women's division next, we had uh, Windsor and Matthews against Kanji and Blaze. It's still all over the shop. You know, I, I don't really get why Blaze and Kanji were together. It's that thing of having tag team partners that can't really coexist. The match itself was okay. Um, I, I just don't really see... It just sort of feels like a, a match that's just thrown together. And I think the women's division in Red Pro deserves a little bit more than that, to be, to be perfectly honest with you. Next, we had uh, Nathan Cruz against Robbie X. I think Robbie X is red hot at the minute. I, I think he's absolutely brilliant. And the the problem I have with this, really, is Nathan Cruz. If we're talking about things that don't really feel like they fit in Rev Pro, I think Nathan Cruz is one of them. Not Nathan Cruz himself. I think as a wrestler and a worker, he's, he's perfectly fine. He's this character that he's playing. He's... He's carrying on the idea of the Legion, but the Legion without Gideon Gray around is just a little bit lost. You know, I don't, I don't really see why we need it. It, it just, it, but you know, Robbie X got the victory, and he, he he continues on his impressive run. It's always going to be a good match with Robbie X, and you can't say that about many wrestlers. I don't think that when you have Robbie X in a match, you know it's going to be of a certain standard, and you don't really have to worry about who his opponent is. And I, I think that was that was really important. Next up, we had Greedy Souls against Sunshine Machine. Sunshine Machine feel like they're being written out a little bit, don't they? It feels like they're on the way out. Or at least it did. Until they won this match via count out. It was a really good match to start with. You know, they got... They didn't get jumped at the bell in the last match, but they weren't ready for Greedy Souls when they lost the belt, and Greedy Souls just ran them over. You know, Sunshine Machine have been champions for a long time. They're very tired. They've been through the tag league and all that business, and Greedy Souls were able to capitalise on that. I think that's a perfectly great wrestling story. But this match ended with all four men outside the ring. Sunshine Machine jumped back in just before the 10 count, and Greedy Souls stayed outside and got themselves counted out. That stinks, doesn't it? That's awful. That's awful storytelling. There is absolutely no defence for that sort of thing. If Undertaker's wrestler court was real and was led by me, those kind of finishes would be would would be banned. Just stupid. Patrick is patronising. I pay to see a tag team match, and you've done that at the end of it. Honestly, these rubbish finishes. It's like the same with the Caven against Luke Jacobs match. What was the phrase that I said? What are you doing that for? What are you doing that for? Because it's not for me, and I don't think it's for you. You're just dragging things out. And now, obviously, we lead it up to a no-count-outs match. Right, fine. Like, I'm sure the match will be good if it's, you know, because they usually are. 
It's the storytelling and the blocks and the way they're getting to them. And it just, it's, I, I like Greedy Souls and I really like Sunshine Machine. Should just be having, should just be having matches, for God's sake. You can see the cogs, do you know what I mean? Like you can just see the storyboard. You can hear the backstage conversations. Oh yeah, we'll do this. Don't do it. Then we had Ricky Knight Jr. against Yota Suji. Uh, Yota's gone. Now he's gone to Mexico and he's he looks like he's working harder in Mexico. You see, I've not seen the matches, but I've seen the gifts. Flipping heck. He was doing a mad topes that he wasn't doing here. But I'll tell you something, Yota Suji, everyone thought Shota Rumino was going to be the star. I think it's going to be Yota Suji. I think he's absolutely fantastic. Um, it's, it's great, this match. I thought it was... Really, really good. RKJ at the start insisted on wrestling. You know, there's a great insecurity to Ricky Knight Jr. as a champion. And I, I think that's... He feels like he's got to prove himself in these main events. And you can really feel that in his work. I mean, from a storyline and a kayfabe point of view. Um, it, it, it started off really good, this match. I got really excited. It slowed a little bit towards the middle, which which kind of it got a little bit flabby. But the ending I thought was great. You know the kicks, the punts, the all the little things that I really enjoyed. Um, Suji's just got absolutely fantastic. I, I think he's definitely one to watch. Unfortunately, Nathan Cruz came out at the end and attacked him, which you know what I mean. It's just this the way they're telling stories at the minute just doesn't doesn't really fit with what I expect from Red Pro. What I've been conditioned to expect from Red Pro, I suppose, is the best way of putting it. Because I watch this this promotion to get away from things like that. So a bit of a mixed bag again. Nothing to really recommend from the show, if I'm completely honest with you. And a lot of things that really wound me up. So let's go to a promotion that I do really enjoy. Um, Purpose Wrestling. Let's watch wrestling in a library. Purpose Wrestling are a company that we started talking about a few shows ago. And they're a company that I felt an immediate kinship with, if, if that's not too soft a thing to say. I felt like they occupied a really important space in any scene. And in a way, in the last few years, it was a space that has been taken from us. They were a really great middle ground, that kind of small British promotion that were a great stepping stone to bigger things. You know, they're a, a, a promotion that put on really good matches and have a, have a mix of experienced people on the roster and also some very inexperienced but talented wrestlers. And it really felt like they gave them the space to improve and to practice and have long matches and, and really work on the craft. But they put out a statement they about uh, the show that they should have had on the 11th of November. And they've had to postpone. And they've said that it's with a heavy heart that they've had to postpone it. Um, and they've been really open about why. They said they're a small operation and they depend heavily on the revenue that the events produce. And ticket sales were below expectations. They don't have the resources necessary. And they can't get out of 
moving the show. Sorry, it's the December event that they've had to... Uh, no, sorry, the November and the December event they've had to postpone. Sorry, I got that wrong. They've had to uh, postpone both. And I think sometimes when you look at these statements, you think, okay, and I know they've got to say certain things, but there was a sentence in it where they've said they're an indispensable part of the London and UK wrestling scene. And I think, yeah, you really are promotions like that. Promotions that take wrestling seriously and put on really good shows. And yeah, I might not like everything that's on the show, but... I felt like everything was trying to be great. And they often were. The the show that we actually reviewed had two four-star matches. I mean, how often does that happen on any show, on any level, that you get two four-star matches? If you've got a ticket, they've asked that you keep that ticket and come back. And they've taken a step back to assess and rethink their business model to meet demands and the circumstances of the market in 2023. That That was their words. But it, it made me feel a bit sad, if I'm honest with you, because, like I say, Purpose Wrestling are, are a promotion that I, I really enjoyed watching. And I do really enjoy watching. And I wanted to have a look at the last show that they did because there's a lot there that a wrestling fan like us and like me and you can get from it. And I think it would be a real shame, and as they've said themselves, a real detriment to the scene if they end up not being able to put shows on anymore. So let's have a talk about the latest show then. It was called Hungry Like the Wolf. And you can actually watch a lot of this for free on the YouTube channel. So if you want to dip in and just look at a couple of matches, you could do that. And they've got matches from the previous show as well. That I, and I recommended quite a few of those if you go back and listen to the review. Um, started off with Rex Armstrong against Mad Kurt. Uh, this was a, a bit of a comedy thing. The idea was that it, it ended up being a, a drinking contest between Rex Armstrong and Mad Kurt. The idea is, is that Rex is a seasoned drinker and obviously Mad Kurt's Mad Kurt and was drunk after off a sip of Budweiser. Uh, never was really going to grab me this one. It, it felt more like a second match, but it was in the opener, so I didn't get that excitement of, of watching a wrestling match, which was, I think this was a rare miss from purpose, so I feel a bit awkward saying, hey, here's this great promotion, and then saying something that I didn't like, so we'll conveniently move, move on very, very quickly from it. The audience loved it, I have to say, and I think if you like that kind of comedy wrestling, you will get a lot from it, so if you like that style, check it out. We had uh, Ava White and Sky Smithson against Maya Matthews and Amira. Uh, Ava White was at New Japan, at the New Japan show, and I was quite critical of her on that review. And I think it was a bit unfair, really, because this match, and Ava White in particular, really highlights why purpose are so needed. You know, Ava White is somebody who has got a little bit of raw talent. I think that she's got a long way to go. I don't think she's a finished product by any means. And when she's been put on shows like a New Japan show, it it kind of just highlights that, doesn't it? It it amplifies that. But when you put her in a purpose show, it gives her the time and the space that she needs to get better. And actually, she was really impressive here. Uh, I think Sky Smithson is always impressive, and so is Maya Matthews. And uh, what they did... and. What I liked about this that really speaks to what Purpose do well is that they didn't try and reinvent the wheel. They had a heel versus face tag team match. It was a beat down by the heels, a hot tag, and it it was a real 
building block match that allowed the wrestlers to do what they did best. It wasn't overbooked, it wasn't fancy, but it was a really, really solid match. And Maya Matthews is a, is a brilliant hot tag. And Amira, for all the faults that I said before, she's great at the babyface in peril. And I, I really enjoyed this. And Sky Smithson, I think she's criminally underbooked. I think, I, I think she's terrified in the best way possible. So this was really good. Surprisingly good, actually. And a match that's probably worth watching. Then we have Peace and Bullet against the Dead Sad Boys, which is Jay Joshua and Billy Hayes. I really liked how these two teams combined. You know, each team had a big man and a fast man. And that, that just worked perfectly. You know, you've got that great mix of the big man being outsmarted by the fast man. And Billy Hayes was great. Um, what I really enjoyed, though, was that they built to the big lads coming in. You know, it was just... They, they really let the strengths of each member of, of, the, of, of the team sing. And they had different combinations at different times. Uh, I thought that was a really fantastic sort of just, like I say, solid booking. And it, all my criticisms of Red Pro and all my screaming about it is is people trying to reinvent wheels that don't need reinventing. I think sometimes we get obsessed by doing something different and you can go over the tropes, you can play greatest hits, but when you have different wrestlers in there and new and exciting wrestlers, it breathes new life into it. You know, you don't get bored of 12 bar blues you don't get bored of these kind of tag matches and I, I think that's what purpose really understand then they have the first three way match in purpose history now three ways again something traditionally that I, I kind of stay away from but again they just told a really solid story with this match and it was Connor Mills uh, Vaughn Vertigo and Nino Bryant Again, look at the booking of that. Look at the wrestlers that they put together. You've got the solid veteran hand in Connor Mills. And I've been critical of Connor Mills quite a lot, but I want it to always be recognised that he is a really solid, good wrestler. And he can play this role really well. Nino Bryan is the hot, young star that they really want to push. And putting him in this position is, is really important. And what they were able to do is get Nino Bryant over. He got a flash win at the last show. And with this one, they really put across his resilience. He got a proper beatdown from Connor Mills and was able to do the 2.99 kickouts. And it really established him and, and didn't put him on the map, but moved him in the right direction. I think sometimes we can become obsessed with breakout performances. And that's not really how wrestling works very often. You know, wrestling and building people and pushing people is about a slow build. It's about putting people in positions where they can show a different side every time and just build momentum. And they're doing that really well with Nino Bryan. Jory's very much still out on him. I think he's got some talent, but I think he's somebody who needs that time to really show what he can do. And a company like Purpose have been doing that really, really well. Like I say, I don't like three ways, but I really like this. Also, having Vaughn Vertigo in the mix, when he gets going, he just does really interesting, exciting stuff. And that's what three ways to me are about. And I'm, I'm really glad they recognise that. That three ways should be action-packed matches. They shouldn't be over-dramatised. They shouldn't be 
overbooked. It should be action. And that's what this was. I love the arrogance at the end as well of Connor Mills pinning both of them. You know, what a great little moment. But like always with Purpose, you're going to have these undercards and they're going to be exciting. But there's always going to be a couple of really good matches. You know, for us, work rate matches. But with that great balance between work rate and story. And Michael Oku against Kareem Brigante was, was just that. It was a perfect balance between story and work rate. Now, I have to be honest, Kareem Brigante isn't a wrestler. I hope I'm pronouncing that right, by the way. But he isn't a wrestler that I'm overly familiar with. He's somebody who works a lot in Italy. Um, but he, they brought him over and he really showed a solid, technical, exciting base. He was technical in his holds and his his positioning. He didn't do anything that reinvented the wheel. He didn't do anything that was really innovative. But what he was able to do, and this sounds that's I know that sounds like a backhanded compliment, but I hope you understand what I'm saying here. He was able to do the right move at the right time to tell a really great story. And it didn't help, uh, sorry, it didn't hurt the fact that he was against Michael Oku, who we know is just absolutely fantastic. I'm really starting to see lots of things in Michael Oku's work that is so impressive and things that you don't always notice a lot of the time. But just little things in this that he sold surprise really well. He could do things that are really easy to, to, to get corny and cliched with, but he can make everything he does seem real. So when Kareem kicked out of something that he thought would finish the match, Oku was able to sell that surprise in a realistic way. We didn't get the Johnny Gargano, Shawn Michaels-esque hand on head, you know, oh no, I thought that was... He was able to just look annoyed and frustrated and surprised, but then just carry on wrestling at the same time, which I thought was really good. Good technical takedown stuff, and it built to them having moments where they were just stood on the apron slapping each other. You know, and I think that spot in wrestling is becoming a little bit cliched, isn't it, sometimes? It, particularly in British wrestling, it seems like in Japan they could do it a little bit better because it's kind of the inherent style. But it feels like every match now we have to have a forearm exchange or a slap exchange, almost for the sake of it. But with this, they really sold and made it feel like it was a a moment where both wrestlers had just kind of run out of ideas. It was very 50-50, back and forth. 50-50 in a good way. I know that's often a criticism. But it was a really great back and forth that just descended into them not really knowing what to do, so they just slapped each other. And this was really good, solid professional wrestling and a match that I really enjoyed. And the speed of the final with the big knees and neck breakers and more flying knees... Like I say, this made me realise how great Oku is. There were little things about this, you know, about how the Oku probably oversold some chalk blocks a little bit too much. And there were little bits where he was selling the knee. That was kind of the story, the match that Oku was selling the knee. Um, there was potential that he would lose to a submission a couple of times, but then he do he just sort of stopped selling it for a while. And I'm not a selling fetishist. I, I'm not somebody who 
that really bugs me. Generally, I think you can get away with it a lot of the time, but I don't think they quite got away with it here. And that that's what stopped me going into the pantheon of it being a great match. I think it was a very, very good match, though, and, and really captivating. What I liked about this one is, is Oku's promo at the end. He's a heel for purpose. And he had this great promo where he's he's blaming somebody in the audience that, you know, I was going to win at the New Japan show, but I saw you and you distracted me. And if I hadn't looked at you and you sneered at me and all I could think about was slapping that look off your face. And what a great promo. And then David Francisco came out and he did this this role that you don't see very often. And what I've written down in my notes here, that he was essentially the world's nicest 911. <laughs> like, he came out to stop Oku, because Oku's been just a bit of a dick, really. He's been going around this promotion, gobbing off, making horrible comments, being a bit of a weirdo about stuff, and, you know, calling out Northwest Strong and, and, and being a bit bit of a baddie, bit of a of a toxic presence to have around. So David Francisco came out and basically said, look, you need to sort yourself out because no one likes being around you and you're running your mouth a little bit too much and nobody likes it. And I just, I love that. I think it was a really simple, you know, give Oku the little brat who's, who's got ideas that are too big for his boots. The idea that Francisco's just sat back, let him do it, let him get carried away, but at, one, at this point, and listening to this promo, I said, you know what? Enough's enough. For the greater good, I need to step in and sort him out. And he challenged him to a match. And I, I thought that was such a great little idea that, like I say, it just isn't something that you see very much. And it's a very purpose way of looking at things from what I've, I've picked up from the promotion. A very interesting and unique way of looking at things. And again, the thing that I always say, you can tell these stories in pro wrestling without miring and, and, and dripping yourself in cliche. And Francisco was able to do that brilliantly here and I, and I really enjoyed it. The main event was Dan Maloney against Jordan Brakes. And, and Jordan Brakes is, is the champion. He's not a wrestler I'm overly familiar with. And, and they're telling that story that he's somebody who's in a lot of ways, champion against all odds. He was never expected to be champion. And one of the great things they're telling with his story is that he's become champion and he really feels the weight of that belt. Just the way Jordan Brakes walks with the belt, I think, is really interesting. I know that sounds like a really silly detail to pick up on, but he kind of walks with the belt under his arm with a look of pride on his face. And he shows the belt to people as he's coming to the ring. And he's got a smile. And I think as a first champion for a promotion, that's really important. A lot of promotions go straight to the heel champion and then the babyface chase. Whereas what they've done here is gone for the babyface champion first and build up that championship with a feeling of pride. That it's an honour to have this. And I like that. Again, what I said about purpose feeling like they're speaking to me as a wrestling fan, I think belts are important. I think championships are important. I think they are the building blocks of most stories in professional wrestling. And yeah, of course, there are plenty of wrestlers who don't need that. I named my dog after one. My dog's called Jake. 
And I love those kind of stories that sit separately from belts. But if you, you've got to have a belt because you're a wrestling promotion. And if you're going to tell a story around a belt, I think this is the, a really great way to do it. Maloney's brilliant. I, I sing Maloney's praises every episode. And he's brilliant because he's terrifying. And there was a handshake at the start of this. Talking about cliches that I hate. Long-time listeners will know that I absolutely hate the pro wrestling handshake. But they played this perfectly. Maloney shook Jordan Brake's hand. And it wasn't a betrayal. He shook his hand. He looked him in the eye. They were men about it. But it was so patronising. Maloney was looking him up and down. And it was like, this'll be, this'll be easy, this. And he, he, you, you could tell he did that thing if you know, you you meet an older relative or someone who you don't see very often, and you've got bigger, you know, you you know maybe you're a teenager, and they give you that handshake that's a little bit too hard. When you meet someone at work, I'm one of them blokes that because I'm not really a blokey bloke, that people try and like neg you a little bit, don't they? And when you're not a blokey bloke, they try and give you that handshake that's a little bit too firm. And, you, you know, when you reach my age, you, you don't care. You're secure enough to just laugh it off. But some blokes don't. Some blokes can never get over that. And Maloney's one of those blokes in here that'll try and give you a handshake, look you in the eye and dare you to act like the handshake hurts. What a detail. What a little detail. Do you know what it reminds me of, actually? It's one of my favourite things about sort of wrestler law. You know, the worker's handshake. The idea that the worker's handshake is really limp. So when you when fellow workers meet each other, you're supposed to give each other the limp handshake because it suggests that, you know, I work soft, brother. You know, if we if we work together, I'll I'll work soft. You won't, you don't you don't have to worry about me stiffing you. But apparently the deep rumour is that that's a, a work in and of itself. That if you give the soft handshake, you don't really know what you're doing. You've been worked. That's one of the first things they tell you to sort of separate the real workers. from. I, I, I mean, who cares what's real and what's not? I just think that the whole idea of that is, is just fantastic. But anyway, I'm, I'm talking about handshakes and I, I shouldn't talk about them. What I liked about this is it, it started with some proper wrestling. And the story they told throughout this match was the story that was really obvious. Maloney's tough and rough, but Breaks is smarter. And if you get into that technical wrestling, Breaks is going to outsmart you. He's, he's gonna he's he's gonna beat you. And I really like that they did that. And I like the fact that Maloney got really frustrated and he went to chops. You know, because Maloney knew he had to go to that violent place. Not like Randy Orton, I don't mean like that. But he had to he had to find an element of his game that Breaks couldn't match. And the fact that he worked that out partway through the match was, was, was really good like storytelling in a proper way. You know, we talk about Alan Moore a lot on the show and the way he tells stories. And one of the things that made Alan Moore so revered, there's lots of things, but one of the things that a lot of people have picked up on is that Alan Moore told stories that could only be told in comic form, in comic books. And sometimes, you know, like the way the WWE, they always like to go on and about say, oh, we make movies. And the stories aren't successful because you're not making movies. You, you, you're putting on wrestling matches. And this story that was told by Breaks and Maloney could only have been told in a wrestling ring. 
And this might be a controversial take, I don't know, but that's what made it a successful wrestling match and an interesting and an exciting wrestling match. So I, I really enjoyed it. Break selling was, was, was fantastic. You know, he's really good at just at just delivering a strike that was never going to affect Maloney and then getting battered and selling it fantastically. And I really got behind him as a champion. And one of the things I noticed in this as well is that Dan Maloney's trash talk has improved so much. He went through a stage at the start of the year where he was he was trash talking his way through matches and it was a little bit corny, it was a bit too much. And here he just pitched it perfectly because he kept it simple. I love the way, again, just another stupid little detail that 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 when that seems like it means nothing on the surface, but when you add all the little details together just just adds to a match completely is the way Dan Maloney picks his opponent up. You know, the way a lot of wrestlers just touch the head and then the opponent just stands up almost like you want to kayfabe it away that they pressed a particular nerve. You know, like when someone's going into the, the, the surfboard, they do the weird slap on the back that makes them all shift their arm to the back suddenly to get it in the right position. And they've kind of kayfabed it that wrestlers know where to hit the back to move the arm. And it's ridiculous, but we love it because we love wrestling. It's kind of like that, but Maloney doesn't do that. He grabs the most opponent by the head and rips him up. And I, I, I just think that's such a little, a little thing that sounds so stupid but it really adds to stuff breaks absolutely snuck it at the end of this and Maloney gave a great promo at the end he said look breaks he's really good I thought I, I came into this thinking this would be easy and it wasn't breaks he's great and that just got him over and you know you could explain Maloney away I guess by saying that he wasn't expecting it he didn't do his research properly whatever Maloney lost nothing by losing this match he's still Dan Maloney he's still great but it really gave a lot to Jordan Breaks and I, I thought it was absolutely fantastic his promo backstage at the end was brilliant he, he was like look I came in ready for a fight and he put in the, the phrase he used was he pulled some Johnny Saint shit on me and I had no idea what I was doing and I thought that was brilliant he just said look I, I this isn't my style he absolutely outsmarted me and it's built such solid characters, such a real breathable promotion. And yet, like I say, not everything on the show hit. You know, it never, he's, he's never going to. Not everything on every show is, is going to hit. But when it did hit, it hit really, really high. And I, I'm really enamoured by this promotion. And I, I, I think if they go under, I'll, I'll be so sad. Like, genu genuinely, I will be sad. And I know that seems quite extreme, but I think they deserve more. I really hope they're going to be back in the new year. I think the shame for me is that they um, they, they run the shows in Wimbledon, which is, is really London, isn't it? It's not on the outskirts of London, and it's not the easiest thing to travel into. But I'm going to make the effort. I think if, if they put a show on a weekend where I can get down, I want to get down, and I, I want to see it live. Because I, I want to sit in a library and watch some wrestling. Uh, I, that sounds like the most Eurograps Express thing in the world, you know, to, to watch some really great, solid British wrestling in a library. That, it just speaks to me, as I say. 
So check them out. You know, they've got a Patreon. They've got a YouTube. If you, if it sounds like your sort of thing, then I, I would really urge you to at least get on the YouTube and give them a taste and have a look at some of the bigger matches. So that's it for Purpose Wrestling. Let's wrap things up, shall we? You know, one thing I forgot to talk about at the start was um, the Wrestling Observer Hall of Fame. It's that season again, and I, I love the Hall of Fame season. I, I know for some reason people want to knock it and, and be silly about it, but what it does, if anything, is is let you re-examine things. And there's been a lot of talk about Sergeant Slaughter, for example, and I never really watched the Territory Era Sergeant Slaughter, and I, I went back and watched it, and I... And just saw what everyone says about him, about how how much of a brilliant bumping big man he is. And now I'm a really big Sergeant Slaughter fan, and I don't get a vote. I probably never will. I'm never going to ask for one. Um, I'd love one, obviously. I think everybody would. But I, I think what it does is it, it celebrates wrestling. And it's easy to be cynical of, about those sorts of things. But anything that celebrates really good wrestling is, is a worthwhile endeavour. And the debates that have been had around it have been really interesting. And obviously from a British point of view, one of the big debates is always around Big Daddy. And I, I don't know where I stand on Big Daddy. I'm one of them people that listens to someone like Alan Cheapshot talk about why he should be in the Hall of Fame. And I go, yeah, he should be in the Hall of Fame. And then you hear someone else talk about why he shouldn't be. And you think, oh yeah, maybe he shouldn't be. But it's weird, isn't it, Big Daddy? And I, I, Again, I, I've not done the research on this particularly. Obviously, I've watched a load of Big Daddy matches in my life. Um, and I know a lot of the argument is going to have to hinge on television ratings, essentially, isn't it? Because we didn't have the infrastructure that a lot of the American counterparts had. You know, you, I don't think you can really criticise Big Daddy for not putting 10,000 people in an arena when the country didn't have the arena. Now, somebody in Voices Wrestling staff, and I'm not, I'm not going to talk about who, because I know some people don't make their, public, uh, their ballots public, uh, voted Big Daddy. And one of the things that they did to sort of determine his influence, because that, that's what you're looking at really, isn't it? His influence and his significance. Is they text their dad and said, hey, can name a wrestler? And he, if he said Big Daddy, he'd be in. And he said Big Daddy. And I wondered about my dad, because my, my dad doesn't like wrestling. I've got horrible memories of my horrible father. When I was a kid, I had, like, best of Raw tapes and stuff that I thought were the best thing ever. And do you know what old VHSs? You could slow them down, do the tracking thing, and, and watch them frame by frame. And he used to sometimes, he'd grab the remote. He'd, he'd, I mean, how nasty is this? He'd slow down the tape to show me where it was fake. Because for some reason in my head, as I was about 12 or 13, you know, you go through those stages where you start to doubt whether Santa exists and you start to doubt whether wrestling was real. And in my head, I, I can't believe I believe this. I don't know if I ever really did. But in my head, I thought that the storylines were scripted. So when they did the promos and that, that was all scripted and that was all a story. But when they went in the ring... That was real. And they based whatever happened next on the story based on what happened in the ring. 
And I remember explaining this to my dad. I've got a really vivid memory of explaining this to my dad. And he, he, my dad's the sort of person who was working six days a week, 14 hours a day welding. You know, he's, he's not like me at all. We're very different people. I've got very soft hands and my dad doesn't. You know, I remember explaining these things to him and him just looking at me and going, what the hell are you talking about, kid? You know what I mean? What are you on about? So, so I text my dad and said, "Oh, what name a wrestler that you the the first comes to mind?" And you know what wrestler he said? The Undertaker. <laughs> my dad's a mark. <laughs> what an absolute mark! But what came after it? Because I, I texted back and said, "Look, I, I was the answer I was looking for was Big Daddy," and I was blown away by his response. Because I, apart from those conversations that I've had, my dad has never really shown any interest in wrestling whatsoever. It was it's just something that he, he had absolutely no inclination to watch at all. But when I said, oh, I'm looking for Big Daddy, he says, oh, yeah, I really like Les Kelly. I thought, I've got a minute. You've never, ever mentioned wrestling to me before in your life. And you've just suddenly dropped in Les Kelly. So I said, like, you know, how much wrestling did you watch? And he says, yeah, you know, we used to watch it. He mentioned the Royals, who were two brothers. He said, um, he said they, <laughs> the quote was, <laughs> they, they were one of those tag teams. <laughs> yeah, they were one of them tag teams they have nowadays. Um, and he said he, his favourite was a Yorkshire lad called Mick McManus. He used to be in with all that lot. I think he was a baddie. And then I, I, I just, I can't believe how much he was able to talk about wrestling. So I said, yeah, a lot of them were northern. You know, it was based around that kind of area. And he said, yeah, they used to do shows at the King's Hall inside Bellevue. She said, if you're from Manchester, Northwest, you'll, you'll know Bellevue. And he says, yeah, we used to go. He said, we got in a couple of times because we used to go to the Speedway. So they used to go and watch the motorbikes. And then afterwards, if you went to the Speedway, you got free entry into the wrestling show when he used to go to, to the wrestling shows. And I've got, I didn't realise that my dad has got live experience of going to, 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 to World of Sport era wrestling. And I, I don't know. I just it's one of those things, isn't it, that you you realise about parents and people in your life that you, especially that sort of older generation, I suppose, is that you just you never just talk to them, do you? And isn't it weird that I've got this thing? You know, wrestling's been a passion of mine for decades. It's you know to the point that I do a podcast about it, and I've always sent my dad my writing, and he always goes, "Oh yeah, that's interesting, that son." And I know he's not read it, to be honest with you, but he's always been supportive of what I do. But isn't it weird that he, he never mentioned that and we've got all of this wrestling to talk about? And I think, in a way, that's Big Daddy's legacy, isn't it? Because I remember doing my version of tape trading when I was a kid in the 90s. My version of tape trading was riding my bike to the local library getting whatever wrestling tape they had, they had a really rudimentary first sort of generation internet and you could search what other libraries in Greater Manchester had and you could pay 50p and they'd send it to your library. So I had this routine of 
riding my bike to the library, getting a wrestling tape, and then ordering the one for next week. And I'd do that every Saturday. And without fail, every time, or maybe not every time, but a lot of the time, I'd get that tape and somebody would mention Big Daddy. And it's hard to sort of understate his impact on the perception of wrestling. And for better or worse, because a lot of people, what they realise is, like me, when you say, should Big Daddy be in the Hall of Fame, your first instinct is to go, yeah, he, he probably should be. But then you look at it and you start to doubt yourself a little bit. But he is synonymous with British wrestling. Uh, I don't think he will be very much longer, especially if even my own father thinks of The Undertaker first. What an absolute mark. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed the show. Um, don't forget, get in that Discord. Don't bother with don't bother with Twitter. I was too diplomatic at the start of the show. Sack it off. I've had enough of it. Get in the Discord and have a chat in there about cheese with me and everyone else. Have a lovely fortnight, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. like wrestling trivia then check out the five-star match game the pro wrestling quiz show i'm joe gagney and every episode i grill three contestants with five rounds of power-packed wrestling trivia we have over 30 evergreen episodes in the archives covering wwe aew japan mexico and much 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 more play along at home and check it out today